if you've been here the uh, last couple of weeks, we're looking at the book of Zechariah. And uh, I just want to remind us, um, it's a good question to ask of like, why in the world would we study this book? Um, it seems so obscure. It's so old. Uh, and, uh, you know, it, it's Hebrew prophecy. Um, and at times, strange to understand, uh, even like psychedelic uh, at times. And, and so I think it's reasonable to ask the question, like, why would RUF think about this text? And I think one of the things I want to put in front of you, um, like I try to do each and every week, is, is that RUF isn't doing it to, to try to be unique. I'm not doing it to somehow pat ourselves on the back to say, hey, look, we're looking at the hard text. Check us out. No. Um, my heart for you and for us is that we would glimpse the heart of our God throughout the Bible. And his heart is most fully expressed in the person Jesus. And he's in Zechariah. The story of Zechariah is your story, believe it or not. The people to whom Zechariah was preaching are your people. And by faith, we are all connected. So um, the Bible is one story. And so I, I wanted to give us a chance to, to, to wrestle with something a little bit strange and gangly uh, and to see if, if we couldn't see that our God um, is, is, is the same from cover to cover as he presents to us Jesus. Tonight we're going to look at Zechariah chapter 3. Uh, the whole thing is 10 verses, um, and we'll dive in. So we're going to have up, up here on the screens, um, Zechariah chapter 3. Um, I'm actually going to read here just, anyway. Uh, this is God's Word. So, uh, then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord. And, catch this, Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. And the Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, O Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this a brand plucked from the fire? Now Joshua was standing before the angel clothed with filthy garments. And the angel said to those who were standing before him, Remove the filthy garments from him. And to him he said, Behold, I have taken your iniquity away from you, and I will clothe you with pure vestments. And I said, Let him put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him with garments. And the angel of the Lord was standing by. And the angel of the Lord solemnly assured Joshua, Thus says the Lord of hosts, If you will walk in my ways and keep my charge, then you shall rule my house and have charge of my courts. And I will give you the right of access among those who are standing here. Hear now, O Joshua the high priest, you and your friends who sit before you, for they are men who are a sign. Behold, I will bring my servant the branch. For behold, on the stone I have set before Joshua, on a single stone with seven eyes, it's getting wild, isn't it? I will engrave its inscription, declares the Lord of hosts, and I will remove the iniquity of this land in a single day. In that day, declares the Lord of hosts, every one of you, will invite their neighbor to come under his vine and under his fig tree. Let me offer a short prayer before we dive in. Father, please help us. Um, don't, we don't want our heads to grow. We want our hearts to grow. We want us to see your heart for us in Christ. Um, Holy Spirit, be our teacher, be our guide, be our tutor, so that together um, with your wisdom we might um, gain a better understanding of who you are and especially what you've done on our behalf. Be with us. For Jesus, we pray. Amen. 
in high school and really into college, I prided myself on my ability to clean my car. I was really good at cleaning my car, um, and I really liked it. I would spend hours cleaning my car. Um, there's a couple pro tips if you want to talk to me after this about how to really detail your car that people won't notice that you've done, but they'll notice that it's different and the measure of its cleanliness. So anyway, um, so yeah, that's for a number of years. This is, I love doing that. And, and inevitably, I, I don't know why this isn't necessarily true, but there was something about a super clean car would just run better. Like it just, it was smoother. Um, you know, it's made up. I don't know. But something about like, man, it's super clean. To be sure, it like rides better. It, it sounds better. I can hear my music better. I don't know. It was better. It's like clean car, better, better ride. Maybe, maybe for you, you organize your room before you take a test or you clean your apartment uh, before you're about to dive into some project. Because you think, man, if I clean this up, then my mind will be ready for this, right? Maybe these examples fit your life or don't. Why do I bring them up? Why, why do I name my weird uh, car fetish, cleaning fetish, and uh, your uh, potential uh, cleaning your room to get ready for an exam? Because I think, hear me out, as lighthearted as these examples are, I think they point to a deeper reality in our hearts. We want to be clean, like, like for real. Like deep, 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 deep down, there's something within us um, the reason we connect the dots that, that, it, that if my room's clean, I might be able to do better on this project is because I'm, I'm, I'm guessing here that maybe there's something about us, the way we've been made, that a clean you is a more efficient you, is a healthier you. I haven't had a shower in a few days, and I was thinking about that um, as I wrote this text, or as I wrote this sermon, and I think it's just really comical right now, because that's the whole point of tonight. I'm going to talk about cleanliness, and here I stand. Two and a half days in. Anyway, that's too much information. Uh, okay, so this is what I want you to know. That God's people want to be clean. That's my argument. And moreover, they know that they must be. It's not that they just want it. They know that they got to get it. Okay, so as we look at this vision, I want to break it up in two parts. We have a problem. God has a solution. I'm not going to be able to sit through all of these details. I'd be happy to nerd out with you and not be able to answer any of your questions, but I would love to talk to you about it, <laughs> about what God is saying here, okay? Um, but these are the basic billboards. We have a problem, and God has a solution. So the vision opens up in sort of this divine courtroom. Who are our characters? We've got this uh, high priest. Um, uh, think like, uh, uh, like a bishop or a cardinal, if you're familiar with the Roman church. or It's a pastor uh, at the highest level in God's... Uh, so-called church. You've got Joshua, that guy, uh, the priest. Um, you've got a defense attorney called the angel of the Lord, and you have a prosecutor who is referred to as Satan. So this is a pretty heavy situation that, that Zechariah um, is being revealed. And the whole problem is that Joshua seems to be having a wardrobe malfunction. Did you see that? Like, the problem, the reason he's on trial, the reason the case of the accuser is coming to uh, Joshua is, is because he's wearing the wrong clothes. And we all know that, that, that clothes sort of determine, like, which team we're on and which team we're not on. They determine, like, if we're on in this group or that group, right? Like, uh, sports people wear jerseys to, 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 so that everyone will know they're on the team, Right? We wear certain brands or we don't wear certain brands so that we can be on certain teams, 
right? Clothes identify us with a group. And Joshua has the wrong clothes on. What was wrong with his clothes? They're dirty, right? I think about people in a clinical setting, maybe medical field, like they wear scrubs, right? They're not the ones receiving care, they're the ones giving it. Think about people who like, like pledge a fraternity, have you seen these guys that they got like coats and ties on? So they can be represented, right? They, they, they're a part of the group. You see, Joshua's clothes were dirty. And, and I don't mean like spaghetti stain, like you slurped up the spaghetti and you got, you got a little red sauce, hit your white shirt, you know. Um, the word, the Hebrew word for dirty here, or filthy, is, is literally human excrement. All right? Um, we're talking filthy. We're, thought, we're, we're talking disgusting. We're talking like vile gross like porter potty that's not been cleaned on an august day job site in a month dirty christian you know what i'm talking about job site. yeah that's right um, not that christian has anything to do with porter potty golly <laughs> sorry man um he is filthy he's disgusting this isn't a small matter so he's having a wardrobe issue but but the thing is it's not that he's just dirty it's it's who he is and why his clothes being dirty really matter. See, in the history of God's people, there was this annual celebration. It was the biggest, highest, holy day, right? And it was called the Day of Atonement. And it was the day that the high priest, right, that high, high pastor guy, um, would enter the very holy of holies of God's church at the time. And there he would offer sacrifices on, the, on behalf of God's people. And before this person would do it, they would put on these like pure, white, pristine garments symbolically demonstrating in order for them to relate properly with God, they needed to be white like snow. They needed to be clean. And so this is the problem. This is why Satan is accusing, saying, God, look, look at your man. He's filthy. No way you're going to accept this guy. No way. And see what he is doing here. His filthy robes are representing the objective guilt that God's people have. His dirty coat represents our dirty hearts. Now, if you're squirming in your seat and like, oh no, what is Scott about to talk about? Like, why is he, this feels uh, like, like he's about to be shaming to me or something. Like, hear, hear, hear me out. Hear, hear God's word out on this. Because I think we all know this viscerally, right? We feel that something is unclean about us. In fact, I want to argue from this text that we hear it. All of us have this voice that says something is wrong with us. Something like this. You are not enough. Too much. Too loud. Too quiet. Too big. Too small. Sounds too much like Dr. Seuss. You don't deserve friends. You don't belong. Where does this voice come from? Well, from our text, it comes from Satan. The Hebrew word for him is accuser. Because that's who he is. That's what he does. You looked at porn last night. You're such a fake coming to Christian worship. What? He's accusing. You regrettably hooked up with that person. You're damaged goods. That's his voice. You failed or barely passed that exam for your major. Are you sure you deserve to be at this school? You went off. You blew up at your roommate. Or you've given that person the silent treatment. You're not a real Christian. You keep making fun of your parents or your upbringing. You're a terrible child. 
This is the voice of the accuser in our hearts. This is his voice. And he reminds us over and over of the frauds that we know that we might be. And we feel accused. Y'all, I think that we feel unclean. So what do we do? Well, I'll tell you what I do sometimes. I begin to try to scrub this off with self-affirmation. Or maybe even being better and trying harder. Maybe some of you try to feel good about yourself by feeling worse about yourself. Have you ever tried that one on? It's called self-pity. We have a problem. The dirtiness of the high priest's robe represents the filthiness of God's people. And that sounds like such, uh, man, that God's coming at us hard. And yet, here, the solution that God brings to his people. So what does God do? I think the first thing to notice is to see what he doesn't do. Right? He does not say, oh my goodness, Joshua, what have you done? You are filthy. Would you please go back home and and, and take a shower and, and come back? Man, you need to try again. This is awful. You can do better than that. No, he doesn't say any of those things. In verse 2, he does one thing. He rebukes his accuser. God says, not literally in the text, but he says, shut your face, Satan. And then he quotes, it's really kind of fun, he quotes from another book of the Bible called Amos, where there's a picture of God disciplining his people because they're um, perverse and constantly unfaithful to him. And there, at the very last minute, he saves them. That's this sort of this image of, of pulling a brand from the fire. And, and what he's saying to the accuser, to, to Satan against Joshua, is you always think you have the upper hand. You always think you're one step ahead of me, Satan, and you're always not. You constantly accuse my people. You constantly think that you're winning, and you're not. So the first thing that our God does is not condemn you, but condemn our accuser. I think of these dramatic um, sort of courtroom movies. One of my favorites is My Cousin Vinny. Highly recommend. Enjoy that. Um, and, you know, these like really dramatic scenes where it looks like uh, uh, the prosecution is just winning. They're just like, like killing it, and they're just making the, the accused sound awful. And then... What makes these moments so dramatic is, is the defense stands up and they, um, they just like destroy the logic and the character and all of this of the prosecution. And we're all just sort of like, yes, finally, vindication. This is what God does. First thing he does is he does not condemn you and I, but he begins by condemning our accuser. So we have a problem. And the first move that God does is not condemn us, but condemn him. But this isn't where it ends. Not even close to where it ends. God does much more than make a good legal argument. He intervenes. In verse 4, we're told that He removes the filthy garments. Y'all, and, and the picture here is that of a clean record. By removing these filthy garments that Joshua is wearing, there is this picture of a clean slate. It's the picture of an attorney that, that, that you hired to have that speeding ticket expunged from your record. You have never speeded in your life, right? It's gone. It's clean. It never happened. This is what he's doing. It's this picture of everything that you've been guilty of has been erased or fully forgiven. And here I just want to say for just a moment that there is absolutely nothing, nothing under the sun. 
and your past, present, and future for which God either cannot or is unwilling to clean from your past, from your life. Not a thing. Maybe you've heard this a lot, but if you haven't, I want you to hear it clear with fresh ears. There is literally no one, including us, that is beyond the reach of God's grace. Not a single one. And y'all, one of the applications of that reality is that you simply cannot hate other people. If this is true, there's no way that we can look down our noses at anyone. Because God's grace can reach every single person. Yet, as good as this news is, that we've been forgiven, that, that the dirty rags that uh, Joshua was wearing have been removed, it's incomplete. And you may be wondering, like, what do you mean it's incomplete, Skylar? You see, despite it being amazing, so much of, um, I would say, like, modern uh, sort of versions of Christianity um, sort of express, like, come to Jesus and, and be forgiven, um, which, of course, is entirely true. Or um, one of my favorite sort of sentimental expressions is, um, maybe Georgia showed this to me, I can't remember. Uh, one, it's like gospel math. Have you heard this? One cross, three nails equals four given. <laughs> Love it. Love it. All right. <laughs> it's incomplete. The gospel is so much bigger than this, guys. The good news of our God in Christ is so much richer than, than only forgiveness. Don't hear me what I'm not saying. You are, and we need it. The debt is that great. We need forgiveness. But there's something more. And in verse 9, we, we, we begin to see it. There's At the, last, at the end of the verse 9, it says that, that God's redemption one day um, and he describes it like this, will happen in a single day. The text says he promises to remove our guilt in a single day. And this is what this means. He won't have to do it again. You may be wondering, okay. Think about it. If our God only forgives us on Monday, what does that mean for our Tuesday? We have a clean slate. But the potential and the failure are as great as they were on Monday. Do you see? Because one day, the, the whole point here is that God will not have to do it again. He won't have to do it again. In other words, the goodness of God toward this priest and, to, and toward us is that we're not just forgiven. We're justified. We're declared perfect. If you look at the end of verse 4, so we're kind of bumping around here. Not only are these garments removed, but pure vestments are put on him. He doesn't take the soiled clothes off of Joshua so we can run around naked and afraid. That's where they came up with that show, right here in this text. No, he turns their shame into splendor. Do you see that? He doesn't just go from negative to zero. He goes from the bottom through the roof. We go from being unacceptable to at the head of the table. This is what our God does. He, the reason He can do it in a single day, the end of verse 9, is because He's not just simply forgiving our faults and, and wiping our slates clean, though He will and He must. He declares us perfect. He declares us righteous. So how does He do this? Where does He get <laughs> these perfect clothes? that he's put on Joshua, these vestments. 
Well, in verse 8, there's this strange little picture. Um, and it begins with this promise that God's servant, who he refers to as the branch, is going to be this uh, figure. And at this point in the imagination of God's people, this branch um, w- would have been very, very common. They, they would have known exactly what was being said here. Um, and what's being, what their ears would have heard is a new king that will come from the line of David, who would come to rescue them and do these things, wipe away all their guilt and declare them righteous. That's what their imagination told them. And it was to be this branch. And speaking literally of its sort of context, right, a branch in agriculture or, or being outside in, in woods or in a forest, the, the literal connection here is that if God's people were compared to like a, a tree or in our context like a vine, what he's saying is that though God's people may appear dead, right, they're completely unfaithful, they will not follow me, they will not love me as I've asked them to, as I've commanded them to, But what miraculously is going to happen is that through this otherwise dead vine, I'm going to produce something alive, something real, something perfect. You see, God's branch was another Joshua. I don't know if you know this or not, but if Jesus were to come at any earlier point in history, his name would have been Joshua. His name is Yeshua. Jesus is just the Greek form of Joshua. Joshua just means God's Savior. You see, the branch was another high priest named Joshua. And this Joshua would come from the divine courtroom, right? And he would come not with a, with a wardrobe malfunction. He would come with a spotless wardrobe. There's this powerful reality that happens when God has come. You see, you may have heard it said, like, watch out who you hang out with, or like, whatever they do, or however they behave, or whatever they think, will begin to rub off on you, right? The same became true of God's people. The selfishness, the rebellion, the self-centeredness of of the nation surrounding um, God's people there in Israel began to rub off on them. They were commissioned for their goodness and love for Jesus to rub off on the nations. Well, it happened in the opposite. But see, the reversal of God coming to earth is, is instead of the Holy One um, getting dirty with us, as in our junk gets on Him, the goodness of this high priest is that His perfection gets on us. He cannot be contaminated. But rather, His perfection is applied to His people. We get credit for a life we didn't live in Jesus. Jesus gets blamed for the life he didn't live. We get to wear his robes, his crown. We get to have his diplomas. We get to have his resume. We even get his passport. Spy movies really get justification. You know, like when someone's really blew it and they call up the CIA and they're like, hey, would you hire the biggest law firm so I can get like this murder charge off? No, that's not what happens. What do they do? They give them some other person's passport, get them on some obscure transportation, send them some tropical island, and they live a life according to someone that they never were. Friends, we get Jesus. On his record is our face. Not because we did it, but because he did it for us. Y'all, we're not made worthy of salvation. Rather, we're saved by a worthy Savior.
and we're made forever clean, not because we are, but because our high priest is. So if the first thing is that God refuses to condemn us and he condemns the person who's trying to condemn us, the accuser, the second thing that he does, the conclusion of this point, is that he doesn't cancel his people. He covers them. He covers them with his son's clothes. So the question tonight is, whose are you wearing? Are you still taking your laundry? <laughs> this is so cheesy. <laughs> I was like, like, are you still taking like your dirty laundry to, to some laundromat to clean? Like, Lord, can you, do you, does your tight stick work on this thing? You know, like I, I want it to kind of sound silly. Is that the life you're doing every day? Are you doing like what a good responsible surgeon would do and like scrub in, you know, get the, get everything on you and get the new thing on? Or are you wearing Christ's? It fits you. Did you know that? It comes in your size. You see, in Christ, you are forgiven. And the sweetness is that you're forgiven for more than you know. Did you know you don't have to, con like, it's impossible to seek forgiveness <laughs> for every conceivable thing. And the goodness of our God is that you're forgiven for things you don't even know to the extent that you don't even realize. In Christ, you're forgiven. In Christ, you're declared righteous, perfect, and spotless. In Christ, you are clean forever. Why? Because in Christ, you've never been dirty. This is good news. Heavenly Father, we thank you um, that you alone have made us spotless and you alone have declared us righteous um, because of our perfect Savior. And so I pray, Lord, that you'd help us to receive the forgiveness that you have for us, that we quit resisting it, that we quit waiting for ourselves to forgive ourselves because that never works. Would you help us just to receive your forgiveness? It's real. It's actual. And it's a done deal. Help us to receive it. And Lord, moreover, help us to understand that, that not only do we have a fresh start tonight or tomorrow or anything like that, but that we have a new identity, one that cannot be taken. It cannot be shaken. There's nothing that could ever make a charge against your people, Paul writes later. Would you convince us of these things? Lord, our obedience changes. It changes. We, we, we move from living for the smile of God to living from the smile of God. We don't, we don't love you to be loved. We love you because you've loved us. And we're free. And we can obey. And we can follow. And we can fail. Because Christ is our life and we're hidden his jesus you are amazing help us to cherish you tonight for your glory and our good amen